Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 37 of the Fabacy Keto podcast. And today we have an extra special guest. Um, it's Dr. Jen Unwin. And the reason I'm saying that she's extra special is because I met Jen ooh, way back in 2017 at the Low Carb Breckenridge conference and was f- amazed and inspired um, as she she did a presentation with her husband, GP, uh, Dr. David Unwin. Now, if you are a regular on the low-carb um, keto podcast circuit, you would be well aware of how inspirational uh, Dr. David Unwin is. Now, Jackie, we've just recently had International Women's Day, so and it was absolutely fabulous that we could actually have um, Jen, you know, stand alone and speak to her own story. And her story is just as powerful as as what um, Dr. David has actually done in transforming his NHS GP practice in reversing nearly 100 um, type 2 diabetics. Yeah, and then you introduced me we, we, when we were at the PHC conference in 2019. You said that Dr. Jen Unwin would be good to interview on the podcast, and you, I said, introduce me, which you did, and and then it's taken us all this time to coordinate and get together to for her to come on the podcast. So it's been a long time mm. coming. Yeah, it's been absolutely great, and the fact that um, through my university circles as well, because uh, Dr. Jen was a practitioner, a psychologist, as we'll hear um, a little bit more about her and her work, is um, she uses a particular tool to help people in distress, which is solution-focused, which I'm particularly passionate about incorporating in terms of my um, my student learning curriculum as well so um yeah so she sort of ticks two boxes for me um so she has the extra special um privilege of um being both a well a clinical psychologist and um you know a practicing psychologist for now retired but also inspiring her husband's practice in um incorporating solution focused in um, improving their health Mm. so jackie why don't you tell us a bit more about dr jen Dr. Jen Anwin is a chartered clinical and health psychologist. She worked for over 30 years in the NHS and now spends her time researching, campaigning and writing about sugar addiction. She's a founding member of the Public Health Collaboration, a UK charity campaigning for better public health advice. Her and her husband, Dr. David Unwin, a GP, have been helping the patients in his practice adopt low-carb diets to reverse their diabetes. 
This work has resulted in several published papers and numerous conference and media appearances. She has recently published a book called Fork in the Road, which is a guide to the people with sugar and carb addiction. All profits go to the PHC. Welcome to the Fabulous Eat Keto podcast, and it's our wonderful pleasure to have Dr. Jen Unwin on the episode today. So, Jen, we like to start by welcoming you to the podcast. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me. It's, it's great to talk to you. And we start with the question about where in the world are you? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm in the UK. I'm just north of Liverpool. I don't know if uh, the UK people will probably know Southport. It's a little coastal uh, town, and we're just north of Southport on the estuary, and it's absolutely beautiful. I, from my bedroom window, I can see all the way over to Blackpool Tower across the estuary. There's nothing. There's nothing in front of our house, so it's uh, it's a little bit harsh in the winters, but in the summers, it's absolutely lovely. And today's a beautiful day, so it's a, a lovely place to live. Sounds fabulous. And for the listeners at home, we record using Zoom so we can see our guests and you're right. So there's sunshine beaming through the afternoon window, you know, onto you. So you must be yeah, coming into springtime now in the UK. Yeah, just coming now. And uh, so straight after this, I'll be uh, David, who people know, uh, low carb GP. He's a, a, a GP who um, helps people reverse their diabetes using low carb. And he's also massively into nature and, uh, and, um, well, just all of that really wildlife. And he, he, he stewards a few plots of land. And so we're going down to one of his woods, which he's grown from nothing, which is near here afterwards to, to go and see what's going on and sit in the sunshine. So, uh, that's, uh, that's an absolutely lovely thing to do on a sunny afternoon. It sounds like you're not as into nature as he is. Not um, hardly anyone's into it as much as he is, <laughs> but I do enjoy the the side benefits of. Uh, and he's always trying to educate me with what different flowers are and different bird species and things like that. So I do, I do enjoy it, but he's he's really passionate about it. So it's nice. Very holistic. Mm, definitely, I think it balances out the uh, the crazy low carb twitter you know all of all of that that we all get into and the, the sort of campaigning that we do it's a nice balance really for him to uh, keep his sanity right i can imagine that you know you're the you're the a team you know or the the u team the unwin team team unwin um you know it must be particularly you know stressful at times given i suppose the high profile nature the energy commitment and passion that you bring to the to the low carb uh, movement at times it can be a little bit hair raising so we had a thing last year that some people may know about where the mail on sunday uh had had a pop at david and his uh sugar infographics so that was it was a bit horrible really and you're, you're not quite sure how to respond to it you know whether to sort of go back on the attack or to sort of let it let it lie so that 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 was a bit harsh i mean on the whole we're we're really lucky that so david just does two sessions now in the practice because he's actually sort of retired and gone back to gp he was he was a partner in the practice so obviously that was hard work um and i've now retired from the nhs as well so we're both really lucky in that respect that we can just focus on this and 
keep some balance in our lives but um yeah some, sometimes it's a bit uh, a bit hairy um there's been a lot less traveling actually which has in a way been really good because it's nice to travel isn't it and be invited places and that's lovely but it is really tiring as as you both know to sort of you know um have a lot of uh, things like that in your calendar uh so it's been quite nice just to do things via zoom that's been a bit more restful yes no no travel time yeah and that's actually really interesting because that's when i first met yourself and david at low carb breckenridge oh way back when yeah and you know that was one of it was so inspiring to to hear the story and and how you really changed the way he focused his practice yeah yeah so it was a it was such an interesting project and sort of how it came about in a way because so so my story is one of a lifelong carb addict looking back that's how I now understand it (laughs) at the time I understood it as someone who just put on weight really easily, um, you know, had all these kind of cravings for sugar and carbohydrates and sort of controlled that by doing several cereal crazy diets. So I would sort of, you know, I'd go on a diet and I'd actually feel so much better, whatever it was, you know, whether it was, um, you know, Weight Watchers or, or, and I'd have this sort of regime and do quite well for a while, but slowly, slowly, you know, I'd kind of slip back and, and, and lose a grip. And so looking back, that was actually my, problem and that's obviously what I'm kind of learning about now and trying to help other people with Um, but I picked up a book um, I always have it here because I'm always telling people about this book Escape the Diet Trap by Dr John Briffer one one January I I was at the supermarket and it was in the remainder bin for sort of two quid or something and I thought Escape the Diet Trap yes that's (laughs) the title really spoke to me so I pick I picked the book up um, and John Briffer's actually um He's a he's a, a GP in in the UK and he's this is nine years ago now so he 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 was a real early adopter of low carb so the book's basically low carb and it explains the science of it really nicely and it just really spoke to me this book so that January I thought right I'm going to do it so I did this low carb thing and um, many of the listeners will recognise that um, you know so I'm a bit I'm a bit of an all or nothing person so I did the whole cold turkey thing. <laughs> straight onto low carb and uh had had about eight days of feeling pretty grim but then the lights came on the color came on and uh I felt amazing and I kept reading bits of this book out to David you know to do with things like blood sugar and insulin and and the glycemic index and all of this and he was kind of getting interested so that was that had already happened and then about the same time, a patient, he tells the story where a patient came in to see him. He'd called them in because they hadn't been taking their diabetes medication and he was going to give them a little bit of a tap. And she walked into the room and he didn't, he didn't recognize her. So he said, Oh no, I'm expecting, you know, Mrs. So and so and was trying to usher her out. Anyway, it was the same lady and she just transformed her life with low carb on the low carb forum, you know, the diabetes.co.uk low carb forum. And, um, she gave him a bit of a tap for not having told her that starchy carbs were sugar. <laughs> so, so these two things came together. And then also, he also tells how, you know, at that time he was getting really burnt out because he could just see that people weren't getting better. More and more people were getting unwell. Um, and he was kind of fed up with the whole thing with diabetes and he'd actually given it to one of the other partners. Um, so 
we decided at that point to try and do something different in the practice. We started a joint project um, because there wasn't any money to do it. We thought we might as well do groups and GPs never really do groups. I mean, they are starting to a bit more now, but um, he had no idea how to run a group. But at work, that's the kind of thing I was doing all the time with people with long term conditions. So I was completely comfortable with that. So I'm right, we'll run groups in the evening in our own time and let's just collect the data and see what happens. And um, in a way, the rest is history. So that was sort of nine years ago. Um, he transformed his own relationship, really, like you say, with, with medicine and with work through that project. And he's, he's still, that's what he's still doing now when he, when he goes to work, is helping people. And we still run the groups, but via Zoom, obviously, at the moment. And as people know, he's published quite a few academic papers now on the outcomes of, of those uh, of, of that work. And any day now, they're going to have their hundredth reversal of type 2 diabetes drug-free. I think we're on about patient 98 or something. So uh, yeah, that's incredible. It's been, that's been such fun. And it's, it's led to going to those conferences. And uh, yeah, this, it's just been, just been a great project. And, and we'll carry on, hopefully, uh, for a few more years. There's some more, more papers coming out this year on different aspects of, um, you know, the, the, the data they've been collecting and the things that, you know, so initially people said, didn't they, oh, you know, it's going to be bad for people's cholesterol. You can't have them doing this low carb thing because all the cholesterol is going to go sky high and actually mm -hmm. improves and, you know, the blood pressures improve. So uh, the fact that he's collected data right from the start has been a really valuable thing for, um, just proving the point really that actually it's completely safe to do um you know and now now we're up to some some patients have been doing it for eight years fantastic and and that the fact that he decided to keep all the data and track all the data right from the beginning mm. because you might not believe it and therefore mm. not do it but actually yeah i mean he he did that credit. to keep himself safe really because at the time I don't think there was anybody else, certainly not in primary care in the UK, doing doing that on the radar, if you like. So, so I think we were the first, and actually, um, in the early days, yeah, we got got quite a lot of oh, you know, maybe that's not safe criticism, and the dietitian at the practice actually literally walked walked out. She didn't want to take part in the project, so it was really controversial in the beginning. I think times are changing. I think the tide is turning, and more um of the big associations and organizations are recognizing now i think <laughs> that this is actually say you know there's enough evidence now that it's fine and and safe for people you know with some supervision um particularly if they're on medications you know nobody should just go i mean i wasn't on any medication when i did my cold turkey thing but if you're on medications definitely talk to your healthcare professionals first because there are some medications that type 2 diabetics take um that definitely need um careful watching um yeah but uh, yeah that it was just to to prove really that that it was safe because we knew we'd be criticized for for doing it yeah so it's it's been really really interesting and uh, has opened up all these different doors to meeting other people, other conferences, other projects. How was it for you, like, obviously, putting Dr. Jen hat aside, but 
Jen, the wife of, you know, a tired, burnt out GP, mm. hearing those frustrations and going, you know, well, what can I do to support you? And then obviously that's when you were able to sort of, you said about facilitating the groups, but how was it for you, Jen, yeah. the, you know, the wife and partner of, of a tired, that burnt out GP? It's a great question. And obviously, you know, you, it, you don't like to see your partner like that. I mean, he's such a sort of, uh, as people know, he's such a sort of enthusiastic, energetic, committed person to, to see him kind of, you know, exhausted and, and, and wanting to retire. And, and he, I mean, he would have had a really happy retirement because he's got so many other interests. Um, so I put my solution focus hat on, which you know about, Louise, <laughs> because that's something we also share. And, we had a conversation around it. So I said, well, you know, if you're, if you're going to retire, you know, we had a conversation around if you're going to retire, how, how would that, how could you do that in a way that's good, in a way that you feel happy about rather than just kind of fizzling out and being burnt out and kind of leaving, you know, is there something, um, that, that you could do to sort of leave on a high note? And that's how the, project came about more or less because we worked out we'd never worked together on a project you know that he did want to do something for this group that just gets sicker and sicker and and so everything sort of came together in at this perfect moment that I we we'd had a bit of knowledge from reading Dr Briffer's book um he'd been looking at diabetes.co.uk looking at what, what they were doing on their low carb forum because of that patient I could run I was able to run groups you know, he wanted to do a pro, so it it kind of it was a it was a perfect it was a perfect storm in a way that came together to start that project off. But yes, we I, I remember because we we go I'm not going to call it running we go jogging together, um, and it, it, we have that conversation on a run as you often do either walking or running with somebody. It's it, it's a really nice way to start a conversation about something, isn't it? Um, and we had that exact conversation about, you know, what would a good retirement look like? And of course, he still hasn't retired. And in fact, I think it was yesterday, the partners um, ha had a meeting about whether they, they'd uh, let, let him carry on. They have to review it every few years because he's now officially, you know, uh, retired. And, uh, and he was a bit nervous they were going to, <laughs> to go, which of course they haven't. So he's really happy to to carry on doing what he's doing. So yeah, it's, it's, it's lovely to, to see him sort of re-energise like that. And in your career as a clinical and health psychologist, did nutrition feature in once you found, found out? How did that feature in your career? That's a, also an excellent question. Um, obviously, nutrition isn't part of our training. And I would have dearly loved to incorporate what I knew um, to what I was doing at work, but it, it is at, at that time and, and probably still, I think it'll change in the future, would have been incredibly difficult because the received wisdom is all around starchy carbs for people with type 2 diabetes and all around kind of the eat well plate. So or, although everybody that I worked with knew that this was my passion, it was quite difficult to to bring it in um, at work because there wasn't really the evidence to, to back it up. But I do f obviously feel very strongly that nutrition should be part of our training and that where you're trying to work with people 
it's it's good to know it's good to know what they're what they're eating and there's evidence so i work with people with things like chronic pain and other chronic health conditions and obviously we know there was a paper this week actually that i retweeted which is about patients with fibromyalgia and how that can be it's probably linked to insulin resistance and uh, that was a group that we work with you know people who who suffer incredibly in terms of their quality of life because of um chronic pain essentially um and so i do strongly feel that we should know about people's nutritional status and even if it's not the psychologists that are doing it you know it's important that somebody in the team is advising people um on the impact of nutrition and helping them to make those changes because it's one thing to know isn't it for example that high sugar diet is is bad for you and then there's the whole other piece which is about the behavior change and the psychology which is where people like me come in um and how to help and support people to make those changes which is difficult in in today's environment um so that's what i'm really passionate about now since i've retired is is um the stuff around sugar and food addiction and helping people to you know to make those permanent changes because a lot of people can do it short term but it, it's hard to stick to <laughs> especially if there's a real addiction there yeah addiction that's right 100%. so and that's really where you've moved into that sort of space now it is with, that's my that addiction frame and how yeah. that sort of couples with the behavior yeah so maybe you could talk through you know your your awakening this is <laughs> yeah. this is Dr. Jen's, you know, second second chapter two. So you've yeah, been absolutely. able to. Um, yeah. So obviously the, so for me, low carb made a massive difference, uh, low carb and, and keto. And I think obviously where people have a problem with sugar and carb addiction, I mean, it's essentially the sugars that, that, that are the most addictive thing, but obviously as we all know, as low carb as starchy carbohydrates as well, which digest down into sugar. Um, so I was a lot, lot better doing low carb. So that was kind of step one, really. But then I think like a lot of people who, who do, who do low carb and keto, uh, it is quite hard to sustain. I mean, even if you haven't got a full blown addiction problem in, in the society that we live in, um, there's, the, the kind of uh, processed foods, uh, sugars and grains, uh, they're just everywhere, are ubiquitous, aren't they? So it, it is hard to sort of stay the course unless you've got a really strong reason to do so, like, say, epilepsy or something like that, and people are really sticking to it for those reasons. So, um, so I did find myself occasionally, I was just talking to someone this morning about Christmas and how hard that is, uh, for example, at Christmas, kind of going going off piste and and finding it a lot, finding it difficult to kind of come back again, and then I came across this idea of m maybe sugar and some other foods can can be addictive. So that would have been a few years ago, and that really I started looking back, as I say, through my own history, and kind of thinking, well, that you know that hat fits <laughs> you know that seems to explain a lot of my own behavior and i almost couldn't believe you know being a psychologist i hadn't seen that before because obviously we learn about addictions when we're training but that that was so what what's addiction about it's about this kind of compulsion and 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 a sort of um a difficulty 
resisting carrying out those behaviors even when you don't want to you know you're doing something that you you know is harming your mental and physical health but but still you do it uh and it starts to sort of affect other areas of your life yeah that you know that was that was me looking back and that the only times when I'd kind of felt not not experienced those things was when I was doing some sort of a keto or low carb or Atkins you know one of those regimes that didn't include sugar and and, and starchy carbs um so that kind of fell into place and then I thought well I want to find out more about that and so since I've you know it's um it's about two years now since I retired from the NHS. So I, I went to train with Bitten Johnson, who people may have heard of and might want to look up. She's, you know, probably one of the foremost uh, experts in the field. She's in Sweden and she does some holistic addiction, addiction medicine training. And she's got um, uh, an assessment tool called Sugar. So I, I did all that training and met, you know, other amazing people who've also trained with her. And uh, we're in my my cohort. Um, so I've been able to kind of immerse myself in that field and think, well, mm. what is it that where, when people have um, definitely have this problem, which looks like addiction, it looks like the way that people who are addicted behave with alcohol. You know, it looks like the way that uh, people with an alcohol problem would behave or people with a drug problem would behave. Those same criteria apply to some of us with sugar and, and carbohydrates and then what is the special kind of advice for them because it, it, it it's kind of um keto plus if you like or in, in some ways it's keto minus so people have to do a very sort of clean form of of keto um things like sweeteners are very problematic for people with with an addiction problem because they just mm. light up the neurons in the brain that are lit up you know the sort of dopamine and things like that um some people struggle with nuts and dairy because of the sort of carb fat combo i mean that 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 uh that's is problematic for some people not everybody and probably real food addicts probably need to be really careful if not abstinent from alcohol because again it's the same pathways in the brain that are being uh activated so that when you have alcohol it may be that you don't even have very much but it might be the next day or the day after that you get these kind of incredible cravings for food and and sweet things and so some people notice that. so um it, it's like a sort of special a special form of keto and with all that knowledge about the brain and what's really going on in addiction so people have have that model that really they can't just have a little bit of something. Some people can, but, but if you're a true addict, you can't have a little bit of cake. It'll never be one bite. It'll always be a whole cake. And then it's so much more difficult to get on board, back on board. And that's exactly like it would be with someone with an alcohol problem. You'd never have a little bit of whiskey because it's Friday night or Christmas. You absolutely have to be abstinent and of course it's it's difficult is he it's not maybe food addiction is the hardest thing to quit because we start very young uh, we've all had sugar you know that was my favorite it's my earliest memories are about hot cheese scones i can remember sweet i used to save up all my money and and this is kind of 
true for many people with a food sugar addiction problem. They start very young. They're kind of almost like that already. My mum was looking back, definitely a food addict, sugar addict. Um, we have it from very young. Um, where it's used as a reward culturally. And as time goes on, every single celebration is to do with chocolate and sweets, Christmas, Halloween, Valentine's, Mother's Day. <laughs> it's all about chocolate and Prosecco, isn't it? So, and cakes, um, yeah. and cakes and cakes in the office. And it's, it's just uh, over my lifetime got, got kind of more and more uh, ubiquitous. So we have to eat exactly as you say, Jackie. But, um, yeah, so you can stay away from cigarettes if you give up cigarettes. You can not have them in the house. You can, you know, try and avoid the sight of them. And now they don't even stay behind a curtain, aren't they, in the shop? So you don't even have a look, look at them when you go in the shop. When I go in the shop, I'm bombarded by, you know, chocolate mini eggs and I don't know what else is at the, at, at the till and at the garage and everywhere we go. Um, so people have to work out. I mean, the main things to cut out are obviously the sugar and the carbs, and we all know how to do that because we can do keto or low, or low carb. Then people are left sometimes with other things that they still crave. So one example for me early on was peanut butter. That stuff was like crack to me. Couldn't have it in the house. We'd just go and eat it out of the jar with a spoon. <laughs> a jar never lasted more than a day. So I just stopped buying it. So it, it's it's um, controlling your own environment, um, and that's easy or difficult depending on who you live with and what their attitude to all these things are um yeah a, a big part of it is is keeping that stuff out of sight because our brains respond to the cues associated with with those foods um by releasing dopamine even you know if there's an advert on the television or you think about something that's in the fridge your brain's already lighting up a little bit with the, with the dopamine. And then once that starts, that process can sort of overpower the thinking part of you, the logical part of your brain, which has said that morning, maybe, oh, no biscuits today. You know, it's Monday and starting today, no biscuits. <laughs> and uh, we've all had that experience, haven't we, where we say that in the morning, get home from work, and we actually kind of watch our hands reaching for the biscuit barrel and as if it's this disembodied kind of, somebody else's hand um and that's because the you know we see the biscuits on the side willpower's depleted because it's the end of the day we've got those cravings the dopamine systems going and, and and trying to get you to reach for it and and um more often than not we do so the the cues in the environment are incredibly important for people if you're really struggling mm. get it out get it out of sight um put it in have have a cupboard of your own that you go in if there's other people in the house who, who want these things, you know, they've got their own cupboard with it in. Yeah, I did that quite early on. I, well, first of all, I made myself a section in my cupboard. Yeah. And perfect. then last, not this Christmas, the Christmas before, I bought a big sort of larder cupboard. And that is now where all my keto stuff is. So I don't yeah. need to go to their cupboard to get To stuff. get your stuff. Perfect. Yeah, fantastic. But I'm not a sugar. I don't think I'm a sugar, sugar addict. Yeah. I'd, I can't speak. Yeah. I you're just addict. increasing your chances of success, um, but by do, by doing that, so it's it's a great thing to do. Yeah. So Jackie says that she's not a sugar addict, but she does like to sneak one or two chocolate raisins. There's a bit of a confession for you. Yeah, but here's the thing with my chocolate raisins. 
one, I can choose not to have them. Yeah. And that's and that's a choice thing. But when I do choose to have them, I can't stop. But once the packet's gone, and and I hope it, and I offer them round so I don't have them all. <laughs> once the packet's gone, I'm done. You know, I don't need to have any more. I'd like to have more, but I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with a sugar addict, they would keep going and keep going that and keep going. Would, they probably would. Uh, they probably wouldn't be able to just have one packet of chocolate raisins. Or the, if they did, that would set off. Oh, well, then I've done it now. So I'll I'll go and have the, the cake or the. Yeah. 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 yeah, and that's really that's that's my mother. You know, she would be in for a penny, in for a pound. So basically, it would be that's that's the snowball sort of stuff. And yes, and it's really interesting to sort of hear what you've you've this this awakening or this reframing of you know this new understanding. Did that give you a sense of you know um, not justification, but it gave you a context and a frame mm. for. Which explains, as you said, explains all of that that back backstory to to yeah. where you got to before yeah. you got to low carbon keto. Absolutely, it really helped me to have that understanding because it it it, it yeah, as you say, it explains a behaviour which had been a bit puzzling to me. You know, I'm a person who can kind of be really organised and really disciplined in lo- every other area of my life, but in this one area, I couldn't kind of couldn't solve the puzzle. So it felt it felt like. Yeah, the jig the jigsaw came together, and then um, I I understood what you know how to how to go on with it. Then you know how to how to sort of um, be with that in in the future. So yeah, it was a big it was a big sort of realization, and and in a way that's why I called the book Fork in the Road <laughs> because that's how it feels like. It feels like there's a moment when you realize, aha aha moment that um yeah kind of it's an addiction problem and that gives you a a a direction of travel um you know it's not that you you know you never you never cure these things but there's a way of coping with and living with it and and kind of living your best life with this with this challenge if you like so it's possible to uh it's possible to to function really really well um, even with this problem, because it, it's not something that, a bit like diabetes in a way, if you don't you don't cure it. You put it into recovery or, or remission by what you're doing. But obviously, if 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 um, a person with type two diabetes in remission started eating cake and biscuits and sugar and starchy carbs again, you know that the their biomarkers are, are going to change again. And it's the same with sugar addiction. I think you know that. You can do really, really well with the, a set, you know, um, abstinent regime. But obviously, yeah, if I started eating chocolate raisins again, all the cravings would come back and, you know, I'd, I'd have all those difficulties again. So it's how to keep going, how to maintain that, uh, recovery. So the food plan is obviously the sort of base, the base of that, that people are abstinent from sugar grains and starchy carbs and then whatever else they can't moderate like for me it was peanut butter for someone else it might be could be anything you know for some people it's cheese as i say or certain kinds of nuts just just get a food plan that you can stick to and then focus on all the other things in life that the you know that that dopamine and and um serotonin that had sort of been 
you were you, you'd been trying to get that through the food you'd been getting the happy hormones through food and focusing on that so obviously you have to replace that with something you have to replace getting dopamine from sugar with getting dopamine from other rewards or other things in life and the same with with serotonin it's a kind of happy hormone you know how, how are you going to get that so the book also talks about that so the food is is some of it <laughs> but then keeping going into recovery is about building a life that doesn't rely on food for for comfort or amusement or all of those things that we use food for mm. so that's the emotional soothing so we're not soothing ourselves through food but we need to look for those other other things activities to, to, um, to do that yeah but there's a question obviously you're you've the book so that we'll get you onto that but obviously the fork in the road is a metaphor for you know this is this is my awakening this is the giving that label to addiction but addiction seems to have so much stigma attached to it did you find obviously you found it comforting that it's given you a context but yeah if I said well you know that person's an addict ooh, that has such a, a negative stigma attached to it how did you deal with that yeah, I, I, I didn't find that particularly, but I can understand that some people would, um, or that that, that that would be a concern. Most people that I've spoken to and, and sort of done the assessments with have actually found it to be the same as I did, a sort of, you know, a kind of helpful way of seeing it because then it gave them that sense of hope that there's then something there's a treatment, if you like, or there's something that you can do when they'd been struggling and, you know, they, they were really suffering in terms of their mental health and the physical, and the physical health. And they knew they were harming themselves. Um, and interestingly, they're, they're, cause we've looked at, um, a lot, I've looked at a lot of the research, obviously around, uh, sugar and carb addiction. And there was a paper looking at this exact question because, um, it's one of the arguments about why they didn't include it in, like the DSM or the ICD was that, you know, is it, is it a kind of shaming thing to do? So it was interesting. And they, they presented to people some case examples and one group were given, um, an explanation of, you know, self-control, if you like. And the other, the other group were given an explanation of, you know, it's possible to be addicted to foods and, you know, this person struggling and so on and they found that the people given the addiction explanation um were much less stigmatizing so there was less stigma associated with explaining um obesity as a as an addiction problem than as a sort of you know they should just get a grip problem so i suppose that makes sense doesn't it you know that there's there was more sympathy towards towards those people now whether they i guess yeah go on it must be a relief for somebody who has been struggling for to beat all their life really for years uh to then have hope let's say of i can do something about this now yep. it might not be the something you want to do because you've got to cut out that thing that you that you love but there is some hope that you can take control of this yeah can, i think as bitten johnson says it's the wolf that you feed so you can <laughs> yeah. choose whether to feed the wolf or not yeah so. It's a great, it's a great analogy. Um, yes, I think you're right. I think, I think hope, hope's everything. That's my big, my, my, my big thing. <laughs> Obviously, hope. That's what I did my doctorate in. Um, so I'm really interested in giving people hope. And I think, 
yes, you're right, you know, that realization is part of it. But also the fact that there's other people who've who've had that same journey, who are a little bit further ahead of you. It's a, it's a massively hopeful thing. So that once people self-identify as, as as food addicts, then they can join the Facebook groups that that are so supportive. You know, they can they can come and do our chat on Clubhouse, which we actually do we do on a Wednesday. So it's kind of appropriate. I'm thinking about that later. Uh, and they can come and be part of the tribe, which is another thing that Bitten says is about find your, find your tribe. Um, most of us haven't got people in our family necessarily who understand this struggle. You know, we might be the only one, even our friends might not really understand and might kind of go, well, you know, just, just a little bit's fine. Or, you know, isn't it a bit weird that you never eat, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you just have a little bit? Um, and how you talk, how you talk to your family. And it's great to have those links with people who've walked that same walk and some people who are kind of further ahead like bitten herself or you know there's there's loads of uh, great great people that i can point people to or you know facebook groups or people to follow um just to give you that inspiration really that yeah hope hope is possible change is possible you can live a a really a really good life and and be your best self um you know following following this kind of abstinence abstinent regime you know because the sugar is actually robbing people of their uh of their joy and their their best selves because it's taking up so much kind of heads head space yeah. and i know jackie and, and you had that very early on in your journey jackie where you know you thought you didn't have the willpower but you then you realized that it wasn't necessarily about willpower it was about the food you know and then those choices became easier once you were able to to choose the right foods so it wasn't a personal deficit in character yeah. you know there's character flaw if only I could you know moderate if only I could do this but it was once once yes. you realize that and the, habits, the food habits was, are incredibly mm. powerful yeah a willpower we're never gonna never gonna rely on it really particularly in in this regard because it gets hijacked by that primitive part of your brain the survival part of your brain which is driving you to do these things thinks it's helping you um yes and and uh, it's more getting these doing things every day the same making new pathways in the brain that become habitual like I mean, the obvious example that people always give is like, you don't really think about brushing your teeth. <laughs> you just do it as an automatic part of your routine. And, uh, you know, you can get to that place with, with food as well. It just becomes automatic um, mm-hmm. and m- much easier to do. Yeah. I think it's really important to get the word out about addiction because if we know somebody is addicted to alcohol or they've been addicted to drugs, we would never offer them drugs or a drink, we we just wouldn't. We know that that is a problem, yeah. or even cigarettes. I think some people still offer cigarettes to people that used to smoke, but maybe not so much now. I think it may be in the past. Yeah. But there isn't this realisation that sugar is an addiction, and therefore we should not be offering people that have identified yeah. as being a sugar addict, we shouldn't offer them anything with sugar in it. Yeah. And I think that's really key. Yeah, I think it's really important. And also we need to empower people to advocate for themselves and to, you know, to it's socially kind of, 
you know, you have to you have to find a way yourself to navigate because that is going to happen, isn't it? You're going to go to someone's house and they think it's, you know, it's just natural that they maybe put some biscuits out or some cake or they've made something and you don't want to offend them. Or, you know, so it's it's navigating all those uh, social, socially delicate uh, situations that people need mm. to find a way to do or, you know, even eating out at a restaurant. You know, we've all had to find a way to go to the kind of restaurants that we have something that we can have. We maybe order in a different way because we say we don't want this with it and we don't want that with it. But, you know, for people who are kind of shy or, you know, don't don't like making a fuss, that can that can be quite difficult. So that's that's all part of the, the recovery as well is those conversations and feeling comfortable to, to have them and to advocate for your own health. Yeah. And I found personally, even though I'm not, as I said, I'm not, I don't, identify with being a sugar addict probably more on the um harmful, harmful user. user yeah <laughs> yeah um but i've found that if i'm out in a social situation where people want to offer me some sweets or something i found the easiest thing to say is i don't eat sugar and, yep. and that's not true because i do eat sugar but i just it's an easy way round stop being offered things like that yeah and i think so. if you do it a few times so for example when i was working um, obviously there's things in the office, aren't they? There was one or two excellent bakers who would, you know, for various celebrations, bring in the most amazing cupcakes and things like that. And I, I just used to say they're absolutely beautiful. You know, you, you're so talented. I, I would love to have one, but you know, it, it doesn't love me. So I'm, I'm going to say no, thank you. So, uh, yeah, I had, I had some kind of spiel like, like that or, you know, and you only have to do that a few times and then they will actually stop offering you. So other people can be trained. <laughs> yes. So just for our listeners, um, we've Bitten Johnson is episode number eleven. So we've interviewed her, Brilliant. and also, so also Sharon Betts of episode thirty-one is somebody who advocates no sugars and no sweeteners. So mm. if you're interested, there's the Keto UK group community group that advocate no sugars and no sweeteners and I got my hand slapped for mentioning a 90% chocolate a while back so uh, you're not allowed to even mention that yeah 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 that's good that's great yeah oh I'll, ha I'll have a listen because I've not heard her speak actually so what's really interesting for me is well you know to be compared in contrast with Jackie who who has you know amazing moderation skills and I know that I can't I can't moderate I'm, I'm definitely I have to be the abstainer but does that mean that I am a sugar, sugar addict or am as like Jackie maybe I'm just a harmful user who needs to you know be more strict in abstaining um so was it that say for example it back in the day you'd have had cravings that you couldn't resist if if you had some cake, would you then, you know, the next day kind of have to have some more cake? Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And um, did you at times want to cut down on eating sweet things and not be able to with the times? Absolutely. Yeah. And um, did you carry on doing that even when you knew it was possibly harmful to your physical and mental health? I don't think I had that awareness. I'm I'm thinking back to... Yeah, I, I, because it would be harmful in that it was put on weight. Yeah. So at that time. Yeah. So you were trying to stop, but you couldn't, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, poss possibly. I mean, what we'd need to do is do the the full bitten's full sugar assessment, um, 
but it's 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 possible that you would have been classified as a sugar addict you you might have had enough of the sort of criteria to sort of tick those boxes but you found keto as as your solution and then you've learned that you can't moderate so i suspect you had a few times when you thought you'd try and that maybe you could have a little bit and it all went disastrously wrong so and this is the thing like in australia where there are i know that there are 11 tim tams so they're like the penguins right so they're tim tams so there's 11 and each of those are 100 calories so when you know that you can probably eat your daily, you know, pretty much your calorie content in, in a packet of Tim Tams and it's just, I'm just going to have one. And then you go back to the fridge. Like you said, that sort of disassociated hand <laughs> reaches into the fridge to, 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 you know, to pluck it out. Yeah. And, you know, maybe a half an hour later, um, you know, particularly when you're studying, you know, undergraduate wise, you know, pot noodles and Tim Tams. So. Yeah, it definitely is that trigger where that magic, you know, those 11 Tim Tams would, would disappear. So there's no, definitely no moderation. Mm. When I look back in my early, early 20s, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. And then perhaps you've, you know, you've kind of caught it easy early enough because you learned about low carbon keto and you've, you've stuck to it. So it's all sort of calmed down and that you know, uh, you know enough to not go experimenting with Tam Tams. <laughs> But is this is this because in terms of an addiction and that sort of you know that framework about you know abstinence is obviously key to that so not having and the way that it is it's not a moral failure if I if I do go off off track but it's because it's not good for my brain yeah yeah is that the way that you can sort of rather than sort of saying it's it's a moral failure and you're failed and you know you need to be calvinistically pure about never having another it's that our brains are particularly sensitive i mean it's an evolutionary advantage probably we're here today because our ancestors were sensitive to those sorts of things and were able to go and seek them out and when they were there they could eat enough of them you know, in the autumn, they could eat enough fruit and nuts to get them through the winter. They could kind of, you know, the, the, the off button was, was not, was not around and you could sort of eat as much as you could and then therefore you survived. So we, we're just, we're just those human beings in this crazy environment where it's forever autumn, you know, it's forever sweet things around, forever plenty of food. And, um, so uh, our brains are sort of firing and saying, you know, eat eat more of the, eat all the tam tams in the fridge because you know tomorrow might be a famine. <laughs> of course, there's never a famine, so uh, we just we're just driven to keep going back. It's only the protein and the fats that sort of have that natural off switch. So that's why we're able then, if we abstain from sugar, to sort of get back in touch with what's our natural hunger. When are we naturally full? Because the the brain gets the sort of off signals from from nutrient dense food like protein and, and animal fats, it will, it'll sort of turn off the keep going signal, which sugar just overrides. Sugar and insulin just override and you get the dopamine hit, you get the serotonin hit. Um, and you just, just like drugs, you then crave that again because it was such a sort of big hit. But unfortunately, your brain is also trying to protect you by down regulating the receptors to those things. 
So next time, you know, you might have got away with two tam-tams maybe the first time. The next time you might have to have three to get the same hit, to get the same sort of effect, exactly like alcohol, where again, the brain down regulates. So you, you know where, where you might have got the effect that you wanted from two glasses of wine. If you're having two glasses of wine every night, eventually it's going to become three and four. And uh, yeah, and that's, that's where moderation kind of goes out, out the window for some of us who've got that, that brain chemistry that responds in that way. Some people, some people can just do it. They can just have a slice of cake and move on with their lives. And the gra that's great, you know, good for you. My mother-in-law's one. She can, she has stuff in the house since 1995 that I would have just devoured <laughs> if I lived there still in the cupboard. So, uh, yeah, some people, some people can do it. That's great. They don't need to do all this kind of, ex you know, sort of extreme stuff. It's only those of us who really can't moderate we need to just keep going till we find the perfect kind of uh you know food plan for us that we can mm. feel you know nourished but we're not craving um you know we're not thinking about food all the time i mean i think about food quite a lot still but that's because i like cooking and i like i like uh, keto low-carb food but i'm not it's not in the same way not that sort of um cravings and mm, yeah yeah that's why I, say I, li I like to eat yeah i like to eat too so on the flip side does fasting help with sugar addiction right fact that fasting's a really interesting one with sugar addiction so in the early days definitely not unbitten and everybody else in the field says this so um and i suppose i'm casting my own mind back to when i first started low carb so it was a miracle to me that you could go for more than two hours and not eat on low carb because I'd never been able to do that. I would always, you know, I'd have my banana and whatever for breakfast and then I'd be hungry about half 10 in the morning and I'd want something else. And, you know, also it was around at the time, wasn't it, that, you know, you should have these small meals with snacks and all this kind of constant graving, grazing. So it was a miracle to me on low carb that I could have, you know, breakfast, lunch and tea and not feel hungry in between. That was a miracle that I could go five hours without eating. So that's where people need to start really is by stabilizing the, the, the food, you know, trying not to snack, but having protein and fat every meal and, and get, get steady, get in a good place mentally with the, with the food. And, you know, that can take quite some time. Um, so I, put, and, and a lot of people will stay with that. So I know a lot of, um, people in recovery who just keep that steady, uh, meal plan. Some people, as we know, on keto and low carb can eventually go to two meals a day just because they're not hungry. So they might not be hungry in the morning. In fact, that was something I did a few years in was was just to drop breakfast. And also because I'd been reading about 16, 8, um, I'm just not hungry in the morning, actually. So I would I push that later and later and had lunch and, and tea. And so, again, a lot of people do that. Just make sure you're getting enough protein and fat at those two meals. Uh, to keep you going um, and you know if you're happy with that now I I like a big meal number one uh, number two if I eat two meals a day I tend to just slowly put on weight I put on weight really easily probably because I've messed with my metabolism <laughs> since I was about 14 um, so I personally do one meal a day but I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend that to people who are who are sort of moving into this space I think that's something you have to come to 
slowly and if it suits you you know you try these things out and if it, if it doesn't work out you know don't 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 mess with a plan that's working in terms of cravings and and food addiction if it's working just just stick with it um so i i tend to have a big a big lunch with plenty of protein and fat and then i'm not hungry i'm not hungry in the evening so i kind of move on with my life and in in lockdown that's been fine because we're all stuck at home anyway it's a little bit more difficult if you're working or out and about to have a big meal in the middle of the day so that's just my personal regime so on the whole fasting isn't a great idea for people with sugar and food addiction because it can make them more gravy or more likely to go off plan if they get super hungry so it's much better to have a steady routine mm. i just wanted to talk about the, the where they've done brain scans and they've done brain scans of people who take drugs and then brain scans of people who eat wheat and then brain scans of people who eat sugar and the same places in the brain light up yep and that, that to me is just fascinating and it explains a lot how we're it's all part of the same circuit really of how we want to uh, how it affects our biochemistry yeah and how then we're driven to do these things and why people should forgive themselves because they're just hijacked their brains are hijacked and we're, we're all hijacked by the by the food industry they know this stuff they know that doritos are sugar sugar salt and fat and that you know it's just gonna light up the brain you can't just eat one they even market it in in that way yeah they they know they know this stuff <laughs> mm. well, they spend billions yep um managing it managing it advertising it. it creating it um it's just in the news yesterday and today isn't it that crispy cream donuts are giving everybody who has their covid jab a free donut every day for the rest of the year and that you're just getting people hooked it's, it's like giving kids cigarettes you know it's just or, or a little taste a little free bag of heroin it's just you know i know yeah. i know that sounds extreme but it's actually it's, it's actually true. right you know that they're getting people hooked hooked to their product yeah Yikes. Yikes. so why don't you I tell us a bit more about the book seen that yeah i was gonna say what was the inspiration for the book for the book oh yeah so my lockdown baby uh is is the book so really it was i've written the book that i wished had existed when i was i mean i say in the book 10 i think i would have understand stood everything in the book when i when i was 10 if you'd explained it to me because it's i i've tried to do it in a in a way that's really sort of relatable and, and understandable so it's the book i wish had existed for me that would have explained everything i now know and may may have saved me from some heartache so it's to help other people maybe have that fork in the road moment when they recognize themselves and then as you say the hope of what they can then do and i enlisted um some amazing people so bitten johnson who we've already spoke about dave avram wolf who's in the states and anna fruling who are also trained with britain and are both practicing their website is um just coming soon sugar x global it's going to be a community for people with food and sugar addiction problems so people can go and sign up there and the amazing georgia ead who's a psychiatrist that you might have come across um so they've all submitted their comments and experiences uh, around this topic and i've peppered the book with those so it feels like you're kind of with a group of friends you know who've all got this same problem and everybody's chipping in about you know when they were little or um when it was that they realized they had a problem how they now eat etc cetera, etc cetera. 
and and the book sort of goes through explains about the brain chemistry there's a little quiz so you can kind of see how you might score does it look like you've got a sugar addiction problem um i actually put because i love food and cooking we've put a recipe section in uh so that people can kind of see the kinds of things that we eat um so we talk about kind of like the food plans like we've just spoken about um there's quite a lot devoted to the issue of how you keep going you know how do you how do you not relapse so about these conversations at work or at home or with loved ones and um also there's a resource section so people can see what are the websites to go to what are the podcasts to listen to you know how they can connect with people in the space um to keep that journey going because it, it you know even having the knowledge and even making a change it, it, it's the difficult part isn't isn't that it's not actually like i say in the book it's simple like the advice is simple abstain from sugar grains and processed food but it's not easy to do that. It's not easy to do that in our society. And because our brains are already hijacked and like the further you are down the line. So I was, let's say, so I was maybe 52, 53 when I started thinking, huh, ah, maybe it's a sugar addiction problem. So my poor brain and metabolism had been kind of messed up for all those years. If people come to it sooner, you know, they, they probably haven't got such a complicated journey as those people who've, who've, who are older or, or metabolism's more more damaged so yeah so how to keep going so so it's yeah, it's a simple book and all the profits go to the public health collaboration which is a charity in the uk which campaigns for better public health advice and um myself and some other people are also working with the phc to have a sister site which is all going to be about food addiction uh resources for for patients but also for doctors because i don't think i think health professionals don't know enough about this so we're going to put up resources and training and um hopefully organize a conference maybe in 2022 something like that so um watch watch the phc uh if people are interested to kind of see more what's going on or i've now um starting to populate my own website which is forkintheroad.co.uk with um blogs and references and um podcasts and things like that and resources so um people can always pop over there uh if they're interested and also i would mention clubhouse i don't know if you guys have come across clubhouse i'm a big fan i've just dis yeah just discovered we, it oh of course you have because we're on you we're on it yeah you're on, you've got, got the fabulous club. keto club you've got the keto yeah. club oh so fabulously keto fabulously yeah. keto club uh my clubhouse is um fork in the road and it's wednesday night at 6 p.m if people want to hop in so we'll have people like bitten anna dave um or we have a little topic um for people to kick around and uh, it's just somewhere that people can come and and chat and get a bit of support yeah fantastic so what would jen the elder be saying to little jen the 10 year old girl who's at that fork in the road yeah that's that's such a great question i'd be saying listen it's going to be all right actually um although you don't understand you know why you're different and why this is going on now um it, it's going to be all right in the end because you will understand it and also 
you'll be able to use all the other knowledge that you get in between now and then to help other people. You know, all the things that you do will kind of come to play into that as well. And it's all going to work out okay in the end. So that's a very hopeful message for that 10-year-old yeah. Jen. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really lovely. So, Jen, before we come to the last couple of questions, where can people find you? You've mentioned Clubhouse. Where? How yeah. else could they get in touch? Yeah. So on most social media that I'm on, I'm Jen underscore Unwin. So on Clubhouse, I'm Jen underscore Unwin. On Twitter, which is where I mostly hang out, Jen underscore Unwin. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I don't, Instagram and Facebook, I don't really use so much for this kind of uh, work. So those are probably the, the two places. Uh, or you can message through the website, forkintheroad.co.uk, if you want to get a message direct to me. Brilliant. So looking back on your low-carb keto journey, mm-hmm. What, if anything, would you do differently now that you're nine years down the line? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I guess I, I probably would wish that I'd nine years ago thought that this was um, could be a an addiction problem because I think I wouldn't have <laughs> I wouldn't have tried to to sort of uh, you know go off piece and, and go back on again which which was often difficult I think I if I'd understood that earlier um, I think it would have been a, a lot easier to to really stick to it so I wouldn't have had a sort of such an up and down journey right and the final question is three top tips oh three top tips for people to low carb keto tips well, well, it could be about addiction as well. Oh, so. about, addi- about addiction. Okay. Yeah, anything. So, yeah, but so one tip would be, you know, if you can't moderate something and it's driving you mad, that's the thing you need to give up. I and mean, people, people that we see in the in the practice will say, "Oh, I can't live without bread." <laughs> well, that's probably the thing you need to cut out. To be honest, um, you know, so if you can't moderate something, like I was with peanut butter. You know, it can feel like an emotional wrench, but, you know, food shouldn't be emotional in that way. We shouldn't be that attached to it that we can't live without a certain food. Um, I would suggest people try, you know, just challenge yourself and have a, a, a week or two off it and see what I've found is that, because I've obviously had to give up a lot of things over the years, sweetness, sugar, flour, nuts, Um that what you tend to find is actually the freedom you get of not having those cravings is so much nicer and your peace of mind that you get is so much more pleasant than the sort of wrestling with yourself about should or shouldn't you have it? Have you had too much? Have you not? Going on in your brain. So, so one tip would be, um, if you can't moderate it, try without it. Uh, another tip would be if you recognize that the things we've been talking about and you think maybe you've, you've got a, a real addiction again just treat it like that and think of abstaining rather than than trying to to moderate things if that if that sort of you know is, is ringing bells with you um give it a go and then my third tip would be you know it's not all about the food you know where we've got so focused in the food you know maybe we need to shift that focus and build a life that doesn't focus so much on food. So, you know, what exercise are you doing to get the dopamine and the serotonin? What other 
hobbies have you got? What's, what's, what social connections can you make so that you're, you're kind of building your best life and not focusing solely and all the time on, on food? So mm. that would be my top three. Yeah. And, and it's about breaking, recognizing the addiction in a way, breaking it by abstaining. Yeah. And then replacing it with something else. Cause we all know that habits, you can't just stop doing a habit. You have to replace it with Correct. something else, Correct. put something in its place, but something that's not food related. So mine's knitting, as you guys can see. I know the people on audio I, won't be able to see, but I've got a, I noticed all the I've wool, got a wool, wool of yarn. And knitting's great because it occupies your hands, it occupies your mind. You get a product at the end, you know, it's all, it hits all the dopamine, serotonin. <laughs> it's, it's great like that. But, any, you know, any hobby that people enjoy, anything that you enjoy or maybe you used to do when you were younger and you've stopped doing because you've been so busy, you know, think about picking it up again. That was actually colouring. You know that colouring in, yeah. those meditative colouring yeah. in books? And the biggest decision was which glitter pen is going to look nice on this picture? And I couldn't believe how much joy that gave me in at night was just to sort of sit there and make art. It was yeah. just wonderful. Yeah, Anything that's sort of uh, – it's good to get your primal head on and think anything, singing, art, making things, gardening, walking, anything that feels sort of deeply human, you know, just sitting with people and sharing a meal and anything like that is is great for all just just getting back to what is it to be a what is it to be a human being and how we have you know think about how we evolved in tribes or collaborating to make stuff and cook and and yeah grow stuff you know it's it, it, it can help to have that head on when you're thinking about where to go what to do mm. Well, Jen, it's actually so good because you've given us so much hope. You know, there's hope, as you said, about, you know, freedom from addiction. So, you know, thank you for really casting a light on how that actually is okay. You know, it explains so much. It's not actually a moral failure. It's actually a great explanation for many of our stories that we've heard along the way. Yeah, um, absolutely. But thank you for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you. Well, Jackie, I know that it was just recently International Women's Day and, um, you know, I don't mean this with any great disrespect or maybe I'm saying this a little tongue-in-cheek, but behind every great man is an even better woman. And (laughs) I just find it so interesting, you know, how this low-carb keto power couple, the fact that, you know, Dr. Jen has her own story and her own lived experience which really in turn, informed her, um, you know, her helping uh, her husband, um, Dr. Dr. David, in his practice is absolutely inspiring. And together, you know, they have been able to transform the lives of nearly 100 um, type 2 diabetics in, in his practice. I think it's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. But equally amazing for me is what, and what really resonates for me, is I was like her, you know, I was this intelligent woman who was morbidly obese and in practice, you know, educating future health professionals, standing out the front of these very large lectures, you know, speaking about health and health systems and health practice. But yet calories in and calories out wasn't working for me. Hmm. So, um, yeah, it wasn't for the one of trying. It wasn't for the one of being an intelligent person and knowing what I should be doing. 
but it certainly wasn't wasn't doing that. And the more that we've heard, obviously, on our podcast about carb sugar addiction from our previous episodes with Bitten Johnson, you know, that really reframes it for me and it really makes me, um, you know, my steely resolve to to be the abstainer. To, I need to abstain because of my, my brain chemistry is wired, um, you know, to, to react to those particular chemicals. Yeah. As I said, I'm more a social, no, what's it called? A harmful user in Bitten Johnson's um, framing of it. So I was saying to you earlier that I think it's probably easier to be an abstainer because you know you just can't go there rather than for me, I can have a little bit and I know I can just get back on track. So that leads me to wander off track more often than I probably should. So I guess there are benefits to to both sides of the coin. But I like how, and I said this in the in the intro about the solution focused, you know, that approach about, you know, helping people in distress and how can I help myself and knowing that I can give myself hope that I'm I'm resourceful enough and resilient enough, I have the solutions, I know what I need to do, but I need to give myself those options and hope that I can actually get through perhaps this dark period or this very challenging time or, you know, having these stresses with work pressures. So I think, you know, there's so much about her experience and I'm so glad that she's published the book, um, The Fork in the Road, and, um, yeah, to, to really put the messages out there and framing her experience in a hopeful way is, is a, a really great um, a, a great opportunity for people to learn from her experiences. And I think the more we can bring awareness to the fact that sugar addiction is a thing, that it is real and it does exist, and the more people can become aware of that, either in themselves or in others. So for me, I know that I am not a sugar addict, but recognising that in other people, in my clients, will be hugely beneficial. So I think the more people know about it, the more is, it's going to be beneficial for everyone. And especially you wouldn't go up to somebody and say, who you know has recently given up alcohol or even a long time ago given up alcohol, you wouldn't go and offer them an alcoholic drink. So why do we push um, sugar and sweet foods and carb foods onto people that have a sugar addiction? And I think you know, we need to become more and more aware of that. Yeah, and and Jen, being uh, having these conversations is part of that destigmatizing that we by labeling it actually empowers us. It doesn't disable. It actually removes the stigma, and um, yeah, and educate and inform. Very much what we do on this podcast: educate, yes. inspire, and inform. Absolutely, you to make sort of really great low carb keto choices. So, Jackie, where can we get the show notes for this episode? The show notes you can find at www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 037. Hey Jackie, you know when you were starting out with keto, you probably had loads of questions. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Don't you wish you just had someone who was able to give you just the simple answers to all those questions about macros, electrolytes, reading nutrition labels and sweeteners? 
Absolutely, yeah. Well, we want to have an episode where you, dear listener, can AMA, which stands for Ask Me Anything. You'll be able to ask us anything using a Fabulously Keto webpage where there is a contact form and you could submit your questions, which we will answer on these episodes. The contact page is fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. Whether you're just starting out or experienced in your journey, we will happily answer your questions. You don't have to be new to keto, so if you're further along in your journey and have questions on being stuck on a plateau or a stall, then feel free to submit your questions as well. Just head over to www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Follow us on social media. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto One. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know that you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto One and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories And this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.